Hebrews 8 verses 1 through 12, the high priest of a new covenant. Now the main point of what we are saying is this, we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one to also have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Happy Mother's Day and welcome to worship at Marian Methodist on this Mother's Day 2020. It's been a real thrill to see our mothers, a dozen or so, uh, lead them into worship, uh, us into worship this far into the service. Uh, and as we go forward, I really want to thank you for being great Christian mothers, mothers that uh, of all ages that have raised their children uh, to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It is absolutely uh, a pleasure and a joy to pastor you. I do want to say a moment right now as we begin this service about where we might be going uh, in our reemergence uh, back to worshiping together here and to doing some of the ministries live that we have done for many years at Marian Methodist. Uh, of course, there's a lot of unknowns right now. As you're aware, we have uh, and are working as a reemergence task force. There's six of us on that task force. And we are doing some things and looking at some things to really figure out how we can come in here safely in a right, not rushed methodology. We'll be reporting a lot more of their progress and where we're going with all that uh, in the weekly uh, mailings that you receive. Our sermon today on this Mother's Day actually starts with a proud story that I have of, of one of you who is a mother within our congregation. It, it appears that, that one of you were, were walking outside, you were taking your children for a walk, and Satan came up right behind you and started to whisper a little bit into your ear and was tempting you of this and that, and, and I heard that then that you listened for a moment. And then you just swung around, and you looked the devil right in the face and said, you get back at least six feet from me and put your face mask back on. Well, 
you got to have a little COVID humor in the midst of things. And so I, were, I gave it a shot, but there's nobody in here to laugh about it. And the camera person is very busy keeping me in frame. So here we go. Let's talk about our sermon series, Truth, Timeless or Trending. Our intention in putting this sermon series together was to guide your development as a disciple and to guide your faith development in what is a very difficult time. Now, I know that we might say, because we're here in the COVID-shaped world, that we say, well, the difficult time is this virus, and of course it is. And let's be honest about the fact, it was difficult to be a Christian before COVID-19 came along. It was difficult to know exactly how to act and how to believe as a Christian. So we put together this sermon series to help equip you with an understanding of some basic tenets of the Christian faith, those tenets that have been affirmed as correct doctrine over 2,000 years of Christian tradition. And our goal is to engage you in a personal quest to understand the truths that are timeless, not trending. Wednesday evening at our all-church Bible study, we dove into the biblical idea of the covenant. Now, we gave some ground uh, rules or understanding, some baselines of what a covenant is, and we basically said that there are two kinds of covenants that we enter into. One is the equal covenant, which is both parties are of equal authority and equal power in the relationship. So we think of marriage covenants in the North American world where uh, a husband and wife are, are the same and it's an equal partnership. We also think of mortgages where, you know, you, you ask your, your bank if you can live in the house and they ask you if you'll pay the payments and then that's, uh, we both have a stake in that. And we also talked about unequal partnerships where one person or one party has more leverage, more power, more authority than the other. And that can be really difficult. And we really saw that in the summer when we were moving out here to, to 5050 REC Drive because one of you told me the story about how you wanted to put one of our we're on the move signs in, in your yard, but your condo association wouldn't let you do it because they have a policy against such things. Now, we understand the rules of why you wouldn't want to have all kinds of political ads and all that sort of thing in a condo association because it keeps the peace. But we also understand that in a situation like that, the power structure is that one person or one group has more authority than the other. Now, an unequal covenant can also be fantastic if the, the group with the power or the person with the power or the entity with the power is benevolent, loving, and grace-filled. And here's one of the truths of the Christian faith. The truth of the Christian faith is that God, the creator of the universe, is in covenantal relationship with human. Now, in this case, covenant implies that there's this ongoing relationship, that it's kinetic, it's active, it's alive. And this relationship is to be dynamic and growing and to fill us with, with all the beauty and life-giving spirit we need. Now, God's reason for establishing a covenant between we who are so much smaller and fallible than he is that his love for us is extensive. It is beyond what we can imagine. Every covenant that God makes with humanity all come from him. They're all God-initiated. God makes every arrangement that is necessary. And every time God makes a covenant with humanity, note this, 
there are blessings that will be issued for the faithful and those who are obedient to the covenant. And on the other hand, there are curses and punishments for those who choose to be unfaithful or disobedient to the covenant. Now, the deeper understanding uh, can come to us if we give you a brief description of several covenants that God uh, establishes in his desire to love and show his love for humanity. Now, there are many, but we're going to first show you a little bit about what's called the Noahic uh, covenant. That, that's really the covenant with Noah. You know the story uh, of Noah. God had made creation perfect in every single way, and his perfect creation by Genesis 6, so six chapters in the Bible, had become overcome with evil. It was overcome with evil, and God had this temptation to restart it all, to just wipe the whole thing clean, but, but he restrains from blotting out the whole human race in anger, and he makes a covenant, and he sets the bow in the sky as a sign of it. So regardless of how we confound, no matter how we frustrate, no matter how much we ignore God, God has promised us in the co covenant he made to Noah that he will not destroy all people. Now, the second covenant that we talked about the other evening was the Abrahamic covenant. Now, you know about Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. You know that, that story. But here's how it begins. After the flood, after humanity had grown itself back up to begin to populate the entire earth, humanity gets to thinking, and, and they seek to make themselves equal to God. They build this tower that we call the Tower of Babel because when God sees them building this tower up into the sky so that they might become one with him, that they might reach him and see themselves as equal with, with him, God smashes the tower, spreads the people across the face of the earth, and confuses their language, gives them more than one language, makes it hard to choose how they communicate with each other. So then the Lord assigns one person he finds one person, and he picks it. He picks the one person, the person's Abraham. And he's going to use that one person to restore his relationship to all of the people he has made. Now, in the covenant that God makes with Abraham, there are three basic pieces. First, God will give Abraham a land. The land is Israel which is why Israel is so important still today to the Hebrew people, because the second thing God gives the Abraham is a people known as the Jews or the Hebrews. And the third thing that God gives Abraham is a blessing. And that blessing is the people through which God will be known. You see, God will be known through the people that are known as the Hebrews, and that is how we will come into contact with knowing the great I Am. Now, there's a third covenant that I want to share a little bit about. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. On Mount Sinai, God gives commandments to, God, to, to, to Moses through which we can know the righteous standards of God. You know this, the Ten Commandments, the tablets, and all that sort of thing. Now, the covenant, and this is the first covenant that puts conditions on humanity. When God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, they have some do's and some do-nots. And if you follow the commandments, which means you would be obedient to them, then the blessing is that you will be in community with God. If you're disobedient, which means you don't follow those commandments, what will, the outcome will be is that you'll be punished. You'll be separated from God. You'll be cut off from God. 
So, so these three covenants and a handful of others are known kind of generically in scriptural study as the Old Covenant. In each covenant, God has graciously approached the people of Israel and offered himself to them in a unique and special relationship. And that brings us to the heart of the matter, our matter for today. So we see these Old Covenants, and, and actually there's seven in the Old Testament. We didn't go through all seven of them. But the Old Covenant was proven itself to not be fully effective in building Israel into a people that had faithful fidelity to God and God's purposes in the world. So God initiates a new covenant. And when God originally said this covenant was way back in the, in the book of Jeremiah, but it's repeated in Hebrews 8, uh, verse 8, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. And this new covenant will be embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. The new covenant is different in quality and kind from the old. You see, when you look at the old covenant, you see that, that God is given the opportunity for human beings to be spiritual babies, which is not what he wanted. But the essential delivery of the old covenant is that the spiritually young have them taught to them. And it's a simple, no thought process at all. It's completely black and white. It simply says, the covenant says, do this and do not do this. And so your response is either that you follow the laws exactly as they're written, you adhere to the letter of the law, but in doing so, you're really just checking off a list. So even those who follow them exactly, including the Pharisees, Sadducees, and others, are considered by the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually immature because it takes no passion to follow the law. There's no intellectual agreement or engagement necessary. There's no love necessary. You don't have to love God to follow the laws. You just either adhere to the letter of the law or you do not. And this is not what the Lord intended. See, the gateway to oneness with God, in God's perspective, was in the intent and the spirit of the law. You see, when God gave Moses the law, his intent was that people could be at one with him. And, and it was with that intent to be, become one with God that, that the people of Israel were supposed to, to abide by that law. And the spirit in which God gave the, old co the new covenant, the, the, the covenant there on Mount Sinai, was, was that people would receive that, that the Jews would receive that, and they would embrace the privilege to know how to be with God and to joyfully respond to God by planting those laws in your heart and letting, letting the law of God be a perfect rule for you that you wanted to follow. But people didn't follow it that way. And so God offered a new covenant. And the new covenant that's embodied in Jesus Christ is for those who desire to be the people of God. See, the person of God understands that living God's will is the joy in living. The desire to please God is exactly tattooed on our hearts. It's a gift of God given to us as we see Jesus Christ, we see his person, we see his ministry, we see his life, his death, and resurrection. And when we understand that, and we let Christ be written in our heart, then we live to please God. We're not afraid of God. We live to please God and to not disappoint him. Those of us that raise children, we know these little things about children 
and I see it right now even in my grandchildren, is that oftentimes a child will behave. You'll say, don't do that or do this. And they're behaving not because they think it's the right or wonderful thing to do, but they're doing it to evade punishment. They're doing that to escape uh, getting in time out or, or, or getting a, a little bit of a, a spank or something like that. We know that about children. They're, they're not living it because they love it. They're trying to not be in trouble. Now, the maturing person desires to never disappoint. And I know growing up in the home I grew up, we certainly didn't enjoy uh, misbehaving. We certainly didn't enjoy when we had to take a time out or when we had some sort of punishment. But I will tell you this, as we aged, our desire was to never disappoint our parents because disappointing them was worse than any kind of punishment because our relationship with our parents was based on love and not fear. And when we look at God, our, our relationship is supposed to be the same. When a maturing disciple uh, is coming along, their goal is to never disappoint God because we love God, not fear Him. Now, secondly, this new covenant is, is universal in its scope. The, the whole world has been open. All people fall under the new covenant, not just the religious, not just the well-studied, not just a group of, of a certain race or class or gender. This, this is a one-size-fits-all covenant. Now, I don't know what your experience with one-size-fits-all things, but some of you have met my wife, and she is extremely diminutive. And I remember a few years ago, she brought these knit gloves, and they said one size fits all. And one time I got in the, in the, in the truck or whatever, and I didn't have a pair of gloves, so she handed me these gloves, which, which nicely fit right in this part of my palm. And when she put them on, they were a nice pair of warm knit gloves. But when I put them on, they just turned into a pair of net gloves. You could see my skin right through there. I said, I don't think this is one size fits all. I don't think this is going to keep Mike's hand very warm at all. And it did not. Now, we see the Lord saying to us that, that in a much superior way to, to, to maybe a, a knit glove, he is saying in Jesus Christ, this covenant is perfectly. It's a perfect fit for all of you. It fits everyone perfectly. It is truly a right fit for you. The doors that have been long shut are open, and all people, not just, not just white people, not just English-speaking people, not just church people, not just well-studied religious people can, can know God, but all people can now know God personally, intimately. In Hebrews, the Scripture says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. That is intimate. When you say to your family, these are my people, you're not just saying, this is a bunch of people I know. This is not a bunch of people I've run into. This is not when we used to be able to go to malls, people that I met in the food court or something like that. When you say, these people are my people, you're talking about love. You're talking about, about um, intimacy. And this is how God sees us. God wants to be known, and God is your God. Marinate in that for a moment. All the doors that once had been shut to human beings, all the doors that had kept people away from God are thrown wide open and all people are invited into knowing God, which is why he says, I will be their God and they will be my people because God wants to know you and be your God. And third, the new covenant really affects forgiveness. You must know this, friends. 
This is so important. Look at the last line of the scripture we read today. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Obviously, I added the underline to that slide. But God is a perfect God of grace, or he is not God. Listen to that. God is the perfect God of grace, or he is not God. And the covenant that he gives us is invalid. It doesn't mean a thing. God forgives and loves, even as we suffer through the consequences of our sin. Because even being forgiven, there are sometimes consequences. And this is all God. This comes all from the home and the heart of God. Everything is based on the love of God. We cannot earn it, and we don't deserve it. But here's all of our sin in front of us. And the God who is the justice source for the entire cosmos, swallows it up in his love. He swallows all the injustice, all the sin, all the things that we've done wrong. He takes all the wrongs that we have and they're gone. And he keeps no record of our sins to use against us. What about us? When when someone sins against us, when someone does something uh, wrong or inappropriate, do we just not keep a record of it? Do we just let it go? I remember years ago, we had a guy that worked for the annual conference. His name was Sam, and Sam was volatile. He, he would get angry sometimes about stuff, and I remember one time he, he got angry at, at the bishop, and he wrote a letter of resignation and slapped it down, and because I was the conference youth director, I went to this meeting, and we received, we'd received Sam's letter of uh, resignation, but Sam had, you know, he felt different the next day. And he'd calm down. And he didn't want to resign at all. He just was mad about something. And so we sat with the bishop. And uh, this was back in the day when we had paper shredders in our office. And the bishop prayed with Sam. And I prayed with Sam. And the bishop, you know, very dramatically took the piece of paper and dropped it through the paper shredder. Gone. Or was it? It was two months later, Sam got mad about something else. And he got quit. He quit again. He wrote another letter of resignation. And that time when the bishop's secretary called me and said, well, Mike, this is the second time Sam's done this. I said, no, the bishop forgot it, forgave him the second time. We tore that letter up. She says, maybe, but I have a copy of it. We didn't forget that sin. That was partial forgiveness. When you remember the sins that you hold or that people have sinned against you, We're really not receiving the full forgiveness God gives us. You see, God doesn't keep a folder of copies of our sins in a a file somewhere. He's not working hard to remember that. God remembers no more. We should give this in forgiveness. We should really work to give that in forgiveness. When when someone asks forgiveness from us, we should really... Look to give forgetness too. Because the new covenant with God says if, if God forgets our sins and remembers them no more, then we should not forget those, then we should not remember those who sin against us. And we should seek to receive that in our forgiveness too. Is that sometimes I watch you and, and, and I know you and love you, and you know you're forgiven of your sins, you know the Lord forgives you of your sins, but you can't forget them. You won't put them down. And I say, quit staring at them. If the God who has the ability to love us and forgive us has forgotten them and let them go away, then it's to our advantage, and it's just smart for us to do the same. So I end where I started. There is this timeless truth 
that God, the creator of the universe, is in covenant relationship with humanity. So it's really important to me on this Mother's Day uh, to conclude with some words of encouragement because in this COVID-shaped world, we can become discouraged in a relative minute. So in this COVID-shaped world, as you go out, regardless of how the weather goes today, tomorrow, or the next day, understand this, we have a God. When we're surrounded by unknowns, understand that you have a God that's in covenant relationship with you. If you're facing by, uh, around the unknown of illness or one of your friends or family is, is, is overwhelmed with illness, you have a God. If your employment is up and down or maybe some of you are hoping to get your jobs back, you've been furloughed or, or set aside, or you're an employer of others, understand this, surrounded by that unknown, we have a God. If your finances seem to be troubling, if you don't seem to know if we can get through the end of this because we don't know when the end of this crisis is, and you feel like we might run out of money, how can we possibly do anything but just focus on that? Understand this, we have a God who is in covenant or relationship with us. There are fears and griefs all around it. And some of us, frankly, are neck deep in disappointment. And to you, I give this word of encouragement. Understand this. We have a God. You might feel emotionally boxed in. You might feel disillusioned. But we have a God who has chosen to be re in relationship with us. No matter what our position, no matter what kind of things are falling down on us, no matter where we are in this life, God's position is to be in covenantal relationship with us because of his love. And so all we can say on this Mother's Day and every other day is praise be to God. Be encouraged. We have one that holds us up in every minute. Let's pray. Oh God, you tell us in your scriptures, so many words of encouragement and covenant. You tell us through the pen of Paul that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. So when suffering comes to us, when difficulty comes to us, we can rejoice in the midst of suffering, not because of the suffering that's upon us, but because that suffering provides us the opportunity for endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope in you will never disappoint us, Lord. Because you teach us in the Psalms that you are our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. So though the oceans foam up, though the mountains fall, you are God. You cradle us in your arms. And though the world seems to be tottering and teetering around us, you shall not let us fall because we are so precious and beloved by you. So, Lord, when all this difficulty is coming at us, when all these things are troubling us, help us understand that our best defense is simply what we read in the Scripture. Trust in the Lord with all of our heart, and lean not on our own understandings, but in every way you will guide our path straight. Lord God, these are unprecedented, difficult days. Many things cloud our minds. So remind us, even in this moment, that no matter what it is, no matter what's troubling us, no matter what's going on in our lives, we are your beloved people, and there's nothing that can rip us out of your arms, out of your grip, and away from your eyes. We praise you and we thank you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. One of 
the blessings that we've been receiving throughout this time and these many weeks that we've been away now is that you have continued to be faithful uh, in your offerings to giving God the glory in gifts that represent you. So as uh, we just rest in a musical blessing, I encourage you to pray over uh, and dedicate the gifts that you give to God.